This is the Cajun Strong Style Podcast. 1037 The Game's exclusive pro wrestling podcast. Making his way to the podcasting ring. Hailing from the heart of Cajun country. It's me. It's me. It's the world famous CD. Let's ring the bell and get this party started off right. And welcome everyone to the Cajun Strong Style Podcast, 1037 The Game's exclusive pro wrestling podcast. Appreciate you listening in, however you're doing so. And hopefully you are just enjoying what's going on in the sport of professional wrestling, whatever you enjoy. Be You know, that hardcore wrestling, all that other great stuff that's been going on because it's been a fun last week or so. It feels like maybe some of that afterglow, the sheen of fans returning to the stands has kind of worn off a little bit, at least from my point of view. But there's still plenty of stuff to kind of, you know, satiate over and put on the old palette and see how it sticks. And one of the biggest things for me has to be without a doubt the big news that's been popping up over the last few days. It hasn't been made official. We haven't seen the so-and-so is all elite tweet yet. And of course, you know who I'm talking about. CM Punk and Brian Danielson, formerly known as Daniel Bryan in the WWE. Both of them look to be headed to all elite wrestling And this is coming from a guy that's been a fan of theirs since like 2005 when I first heard about Ring of Honor and these guys back in the day when I was on a bunch of wrestling forums. And I heard about these two. Again, I'm from the South in Louisiana where like I'd say we were much more of an impact area versus Ring of Honor, which is still much very much more like the ECW in the Northeast area. That's how you knew about it more than anything. But at the time, I didn't know what Ring of Honor was all that much. Wasn't able to find anything. Wasn't a active tape trader. Didn't know how to do that stuff back then because I still had the 56K dial-up internet. And obviously, that was back in the days when you had to have your phone. And if you had your phone on, you were talking to somebody, there was no way you were getting on the internet, pal. So trust me, the struggle was real even back in 2005 for yours truly. But I'll say this. I don't think it'll be as great as people think. Trust me, I will say I would love to see this happen because they're going to be like the pop is going to be tremendous. We've been wanting it for years and now we're finally going to get it. That said, especially in the case of CM Punk, he hasn't been in the ring in seven years. I understand he didn't just pick up the Hagen Dawes and put on a crap done away. He wound up having a attempt at the UFC. He's in shape. He keeps himself in shape. But I think it's a little bit different when it comes to the sport of pro wrestling. You can't necessarily, you know, knock the rust off in some exhibitions, if you will, and, you know, training sessions. You got to do it live in living color and in front of fans. It's going to be a whole different ballgame for somebody who hasn't done this in a long, long time. You know, Brian Danielson, he isn't getting any younger. And I'll say this about Danielson. And it's, it's the fact that he has wrestled that indie style for so long. And he's going to be doing this on a weekly basis. And don't be surprised if he makes his way over to New Japan because that's obviously a big, you know, to do for him. And also the fact that it's a big thing for him to go wrestle in the Forbidden Door is such a huge thing these days. And this is the golden opportunity to do so. But wrestling that strong and indie style is not going to be great for somebody whose bump card probably is already limited a good bit. But I'm salivating at this because, again, they're such great names. It's going to draw a huge amount of buzz, and it's going to be something I think we're all going to be looking forward to. But I'm just concerned about them not necessarily being the CM Punk and Daniel Bryan we saw 
have bangers with Nigel McGuinness, Samoa Joe, Tyler Black. The list goes on and on and on. I don't think those guys are there anymore. And it's not because I think they're going to be phoning it in. No, but it feels a lot like when you go to any reunion show. Like, let's say, I'm not saying reunion shows in terms of wrestling, but I'm saying you go see an artist who's out on tour after maybe some time away. Let's let's say you go watch some touring country artist that was like a big name and is going back into the casino circuit. Let's go ahead and use that. Let's use that as a prime example. I can remember my mom mentioned to me that she went up seeing Merle Haggard and it was at a bar somewhere, and this was Merle Haggard, like, very much on the tail end of his run, and he did not perform worth a damn. And I think that's where I kind of think about it. I could also say, I've mentioned this many times before, Greg the Hammer Valentine, but I feel like it's going to be on a lesser level because I think there's no doubt in my mind that your boy, CM Punk, Daniel Bryan, they will be able to put together a really solid match and tell a really good story if that's what the end game here is. But I'm just not certain we'll be getting that quality every single match. I think there's only three or four guys on the AEW roster right now today that they could have that classic that everybody's going to be talking about. I think Punk, John Moxley would be amazing, especially if it were more of a lights out. It'd be so much fun to see those two go at it. Obviously, the one that's going to stand out for both of these guys is Punk, Omega, or Danielson taking on Kenny Omega would be at the top of the list, I think, of everybody in terms of the dream matches. And it's also, you know, Danielson taking on Penta. That would be amazing and so much fun. Give me Danielson and and Punk against the Young Bucks, and I could probably eat all that up for breakfast, lunch, and dinner and still not be full as a wrestling fan. But I feel like there's that... Uh, the saying is a monkey's paw, and it maybe doesn't mean necessarily the same as what I'm kind of referring to it as. But when it comes to pro wrestling and guys who are very much over the hill in terms of their wrestling careers, we want to be remembered exactly what we rem- remembered from the height of their careers. And those expectations are going to be way too high for guys like CM Punk and the former Daniel Bryan. And I think it's just the fact that you have a expectation these two are going to be putting on bangers but more importantly they can be able to tell some amazing stories because the proverbial chains are off i think that second part is going to be great the storytelling is going to be fantastic but what happens when the bell rings especially with a guy like cm punk who hasn't as who hasn't wrestled in seven years hasn't wrestled any style of wrestling but yes that's a great thing that he's gonna be refreshed but i feel, still feel like he's gonna have to put in a lot of work to make sure he's ready to go and be able to like keep up with these younger guys. You got to remember, you've seen so much great talent in AEW that has like that high caliber level of performance. Guys like Adam Page, guys like Omega, guys like the Young Bucks. The list goes on and on because they have absolutely phenomenal wrestlers. Penta and Phoenix, John Moxley, again, Chris Jericho even, MJF. Cody Rhodes, all these guys have been able to put together really good matches. Darby Allen as well, I think is a really strong case for like also receiving votes in my kind of thoughts of putting together what Punk's feud or Danielson's feud is going to be. And at the end of the day, if CM Punk is going to show up at All Out, that roof will explode. And I love it. But I still at the same time feel like that bump card is going to add up for a lot for Punk and Brian, 
But I'll say this. I hear cult of personality in Final Countdown. Your boy is going to be losing your, his mind inside his home. A lot like the fans in the arena, the United Center, and around the world will be because I get to see two of my all-time favorites back in the squared circle. I have been a big CM Punk fan for a long time. I, as far back as I can kind of remember in my like teenage years, probably from this time I found out about him in like 2005 when he wound up going to OVW and hearing all the stuff that he did in Ring of Honor, then seeing him in ECW, then getting the call up and his time in WWE is definitely kind of the large bit of my memory, but I do know about Punk Samoa Joe 1, 2, and 3. I know some of the stuff he did in TNA, and I've always enjoyed his work. May not necessarily be the guy that's putting on Match of the Nights like Daniel Bryan or Bryan Danielson did, because his wars with Nigel McGuinness are now no doubt iconic, and he just has uh, Daniel Bryan or Brian Danielson had great matches with damn near everybody, not just in Ring of Honor, but PWG as well. So I think it's going to be a great thing for the wrestling business to have it. But don't be surprised if this is very much a part-time deal with big-time players. That's kind of my theory on all that. Welcome back to the Cajun Strong Style Podcast, 103.7 The Game's exclusive pro wrestling podcast. And boy, oh boy, it's been a great like last couple of weeks in the sport of pro wrestling. But I want to get to what I liked and what I hated from pro wrestling in this last week. And I'll start with what I liked. I think this is something I could probably say I loved. And that was John Cena returning. We talked about it last week, his return, and how great that was. And how much, even as I, like a 32-year-old jaded wrestling fan, I stood up. When I heard John Cena's music, I was like, wait, what the hell just happened? What's going on? What's going on now? This is unexpected. And I sat there. I was like, no bleeping way. And then he comes on Raw Monday night and has a fantastic promo hyping up a, a potential match between Cena and Roman Reigns on the SummerSlam card, which honestly, I'm surprised that was already booked. But I do like maybe the idea of what they're doing, a little bit of red herring action with Finn Balor challenging Roman Reigns on SmackDown. But Cena had some great promo work. It was still relatively basic, but I was surprised. He actually called Roman an a-hole. I'm not going to say the full word, but a-hole, you can kind of fill in the blanks quite literally. So that's great to see that, that be a huge part of Monday Night Raw and SmackDown, open up both cards. And what was really cool is Paul Heyman making fun of Cena's theme music. I popped for that. And there's a lot of the stuff that I just sat there in amazement and enjoyed as a wrestling fan. Something I don't do nearly as often these days. So yeah, I love that. Roman Reigns had a great response at the end of SmackDown Live on Friday. I just sat there flabbergasted. Him saying, you know, it's missionary every single night. Like That line made me crack the hell up. It was perfect. The setup was fantastic. And just some, again, WWE, whenever they have a good main event storyline ready to go, they do a great job with it. And Roman Reigns and John Cena trading barbs. And they did a great job building this up, unlike what they did the last time when they faced off at No Mercy. And it just felt like the build was a little bit half-assed. But again, this was a big plus. What I hated, on the other hand, and this is more like a three-part deal. 
And we'll talk about Karrion Cross maybe a little bit later on. But first off, you have Goldberg returning. And you all know my thoughts on Goldberg. I think a couple weeks ago we actually talked about the return of Goldberg being rumored, and I wasn't a fan of it. I'm still not a fan of him even being there. But again, I understand why they're doing that. It's going to put butts in seats. It's going to get eyes on the pay-per-view. And having Lashley take on Goldberg, Finn is going to be a beggar of a match and then some. But then you have Keith Lee. He made his triumphant return after months of being away. He jobs out to Bobby Lashley in about 10 minutes. And yes, you could say, you know, it's all about being dominant. The quote unquote, no more BS thing that they're doing right now with Bobby Lashley. Or the, I'm not going to say the word because now I'm thinking about no more BS. That was actually where are the big show in his gimmick. So you have to deal with that. And all these other things. So you've got Keith Lee jumping out. He comes back after months. It feels like he's just going to be disappearing. People were saying he was being released. All this stuff. But Keith Lee loses in his first match back against Bobby Lashley. Which, again, it makes sense. You're not going to have a surprise win from Keith Lee on his first night back. But it's like you couldn't have found somebody else that could have taken the fall and maybe start rebuilding Keith Lee. And then you go and double down on it by having... Karrion Cross, who got jobbed out to Jeff Hardy, who is now out with COVID. It's frustrating. As a wrestling fan, as somebody who loves watching Keith Lee, because he has that like rare ability to not just be this big guy who can throw somebody around, but has that agility, has that ability to pull off some really cool high spots that nobody else his size can actually, honest to God, do. So you got to say, he absolutely puts forth a lot of effort, and he checks off a lot of boxes for me. And seeing him job out to, to Bobby Lashley, number one, and setting up the Goldberg return spot, which people really were mixed about, I think, despite the fact they were piping in the Goldberg, Goldberg chance, like nobody's business. But that was something I absolutely hated. The fact you, it's a, Keith Lee loses, and he's jobbing out upon his return to the WWE. Now we get to what I liked as well. I'm going to go with another thing I liked to kind of make this a sandwich, but I've also got some stuff I hated as well. So what I liked and probably could say I damn near loved is deathmatch wrestling in AEW. First off, you get Nick Gage, Nick bleeping Gage showing up on AEW television. I practically marked out. I was like, right when MGF said, it's a guy that robbed a bank without wearing a mask. I was in my house and I was like, no, they're they're not actually going to do this. And then he comes out Titan Tron and everything. I was like, no bleeping way. This is going to be amazing. You get to see these two go at it. And it's Nick Gage, Chris Jericho this Wednesday on Dynamite. I am all the way here for that, by the way. Then you get Moxley taking on Lance Archer in the main event. This was the first segment or actually it's second segment. But the last segment of the show was Moxley Archer, considering the time they had left in the show, which was a complaint I think I had in and of itself. You need to give a Texas deathmatch way more time. With all due respect, you need to give that plenty of time to breathe. And a Texas deathmatch shouldn't go less than like 15, 20 minutes. Because that felt like it was going on in like fast forward mode. But still a really fun match, really great story being told. Archer is your new champion. And it makes me wonder, they're going to be doing a title match this Wednesday 
against with Archer defending against Hikaleo. Now I'm wondering, is Hikaleo going to be the next champion and bring that over to New Japan Strong, kind of resolve that issue? Because I think that's the next step that they want to have, because obviously I think they want to put this as more of a focal point on New Japan Strong in the not-too-distant future rather than just have their U.S. Openweight Championship add a little bit more prestige to the brand. But AEW overall was probably one of their best shows, and they're starting to get their rhythm. And that's saying something, considering the fact they had to do the Fighter Fest shows for two weeks, and they're getting better at figuring out the game plan for that. So I got to give them all the credit in the world for pulling that off. The last thing I'll say that I hated, and I think I'm going to replace what I originally wrote down about NXT outside of the Karen Cross Samoa Joe build, and I'll bring up Karen Cross and Nikki Ash for two different but similar reasons. So when you talk about Nikki Ash and Karen Cross, I think bad booking. And 50-50 booking are like the definition of their careers at this point on the main roster. Nikki Cross makes her debut a few years ago on the main roster, massive pop. And a few years later, after not really being used to her fullest potential, she gets an opportunity to come up with her own gimmick. And it's basically the Hurricane 2.0. And I, I've mentioned it before, I hate the gimmick because it just doesn't fit well in 2021. Not because it's tasteless or anything. But we as wrestling fans are conditioned to think differently. We're not thinking about pro wrestling as a work or what have you. We know it's all predetermined. We know that. We're not going into it with, you know, and again, it's not as much for us anymore. Wrestling, I think it's more for the younger kids because they really, truly believe that the stuff going on in the ring is real. And mind you, the bumps are real, but it's all the matches and who gets a push and whatnot. That's predetermined before they even lock up. But with Karrion Cross, I'll get to Nikki A.S.H. in a minute. You have Karrion Cross, who is the NXT champion right now, and apparently Vince McMahon doesn't care for NXT. Then why bring him on the main roster with no build, no real hype surrounding it? You just throw him out there in a random match that lasts two or three minutes of max. You neuter his character because, first of all, it's a lot like how I hear Jim Cornette talk about the Bastion Brothers. The Bastion Brothers had so much potential. And OVW kind of caused that thing to fall apart. They brought them up to the main roster, shaved their head, and made them look like truck drivers and kind of ruined their character, ruined their gimmick. They took away almost everything that made Karrion Cross look like a badass and absolutely an awesome character in the ring. They took that away from him, and it just wasn't a great look. And now you had him lose in two minutes or so to Jeff Hardy, a guy who hadn't had a match probably in forever, Somehow, some way, he was able to secure a victory over Karrion Cross. That phrase alone is enough to make my head spin. And then you go down to Nikki A.S.H., where you have built up over the last few weeks, you've built up the character, you've done a good job with it, and she wins the Raw Women's Championship. I had no problems with her winning because I think it told a great story. It's all about, you know, Doing the impossible. It's very much, you know, I brought the hurricane. This felt very much Mick Foley-esque. But the difference with Mick Foley and Nikki A.S.H. is the fact that you had, you know, a chase to it. You had a legitimate feel to, oh, hey, when it happened, you were going to pop for it because you've had all this equity invested in this character. Nikki A.S.H., you had nothing. 
And now you have less than nothing because of what happened on Monday Night Raw last night. And I try not to talk about Raw, but again, we're taping this on a Tuesday. Was going to tape it on Monday, but you know, the new job is a little bit different than what I'm used to. So we're going to try and get this thing to a regular schedule. That way we're good. Anyways. So Nikki A.S.H. loses after beating Charlotte Flair, loses to Charlotte, and then gets the crap beat out of her after the match. There is no comeback. She does not get a single bit of comeback, and there's no sympathy. Because you've seen this character go from being, you know, superhero and fighting for what's right, and then getting the crap beat out of her by the bad guy. I cannot believe that that's actually an angle they're running in 2021. And Monday Night Raw has just been a bastion of bad ideas over the last few years. And this is a prime example. Nikki A.S.H., in my mind, shouldn't have happened. But the fact you did it and then gave her the title, uh, gave her the money in the bank and have her cash in the next night while you did nothing with Otis, who had the title, who had the money in the bank after probably getting a lot of fans over with the entire Mandy Rose angle. Because let's be honest. Otis Manny Rose was a really great story being told. And of course, they kind of let that thing fall off to the wayside. You never really hear of it again, but that's a different conversation. It's the fact that they continue to have these moments where they try and build something, but this is more inorganic. And apparently it's not working well with the live crowd. I wonder why, because there's no investment in a character that feels a lot more fictional than all the other stuff going on in the squared circle. At least that's just my point of view. So for me, I think that one thing I hate it, it's Karen Cross, Nikki A.S.H., and they're booking for two very different reasons. All right, let's end the Cajun Strong Style podcast on a positive note. And I'll say this. I'm not the hugest fan of everything that GCW does, but when they do it right, it is absolutely amazing. What do I mean by that? GCW Homecoming may have been my favorite non-WWE AEW show of the year. And that was just night one. I haven't watched night two. Is it didn't really have enough, like meat on the bone. GCW Homecoming Night One had all the meat on the bone that I needed. And I sat there in my house on Saturday night and I enjoyed every last second of it. From the time, you know, the opening match got underway with Marco Stunt and Starboy Charlie, which, by the way, was a really good one. I want to see Starboy Jonathan Gresham. That one I heard was fantastic. But you also had Ninja Mac, who. My God, I want to get a talk. I want to have a conversation with him because he absolutely seems like a cool guy and also has an awesome moveset. Very much reminiscent of like a guy like Reginald who has experience working with Cirque du Soleil, which I think I wound up reading some of the Ninja Mac actually has experience working with Cirque du Soleil. So it makes sense. Then you have, oh man, I'm, I'm thinking about this. So you have all that happen. And then the deathmatch stuff happens. And it's not just, you know, the light tubes and stuff like that, they're literally just bleeding everywhere, and it's buckets. And I'm like, even I got uncomfortable watching the last match. It was about Alex Cologne. I can't remember the guy's name, but he's also now the BJW 
champion of deathmatch and i was like what the hell is this this is like way more intense than i thought it was going to be and that was after you know you had some really good stuff two gold scorpio against grim reefer and they basically did a whole spot where they were puff they were puff puff passing i again popped for that the whole time while i was at the house but it was all about the main event for me that was something that intrigued me i talked about it a lot a few weeks ago on the podcast saying that matt cardona is probably a marketing genius and the guy that knows social media extremely well. We know this over a decade ago when he had the true Long Island story and how much that paid off for the company and for him. Because that made him a lot more relevant than WWE was ever going to make him. So we get to the main event. Matt Cardona, Nick Gage. This is going to be an absolute death match. And it's something like we haven't seen since probably 2006 when you had seen the RVD at one night stand. And you had the crowd just completely boo the hell out of him and hate him from the second the bell rang at the beginning, the second the bell rang at the end. They wanted to see one man lose, and that was Matt Cardona. And they set it up perfectly because they built it up over the course of the show. They built up a phenomenal story between these two. And it was all about, you know, Matt Cardona getting the crap beat out of him. Because of all the stuff he said about deathmatch wrestling, all the stuff he said about GCW, everybody wanted to see him get slaughtered. That's kind of what it was. Because he was bleeding absolute nuts. I have never seen anybody bleed like that. Mind you, I haven't watched much deathmatch wrestling. But this, again, got me a little bit squeamish. So I got to say, that was something I was blown away by. Number two, I think it also speaks to Matt Cardona's genius to, to help them book this finish. And I I just wasn't a fan of the finish and the buildup to it. We had 44OH and Ricky Shane Page come out. And yet also get like a fake Jericho moment where they played Jericho's music and then some random dude showed up and got the crap beat out of it by Nick Gage. Didn't need that. You could have, like, punted and moved on from that. So you have that go down. You have those two things go down, and it immediately just sours me. I'm like, you overbooked a finish. I understand the last part of why you did that. But you had a false finish where you felt like, you know, Nick Gage could have very well been distracted, then Matt Cardona rolls him up because all builds towards Dynamite and the references there. But I was like, I don't need that. I don't need to see that. You could have had Matt Cardona win via some weird way or better yet the way they did it the way the finish should have been was not to have the Judas thing but they wanted to get a little too cute now you get to the actual ending with Macron hitting the Rough Rider on Gage for the win and I was like what the bleep is going on this is the single greatest thing I've ever seen because I actually thought that it wasn't going to happen Macron winning the GCW title the fans are throwing beer everywhere. It's like a madhouse. That was exactly how I wanted this thing to go. I wanted to just be complete and utter chaos and people throwing everything imaginable. Because that's what makes pro wrestling great, if not amazing, is the fans. And this was an example of 
fans being absolutely bloodthirsty. And I mentioned Matt Cardona being a marketing genius. The second he won, he already had t-shirts out about him being the champ. That was amazing. And further proving why he is probably one of the smartest men in pro wrestling because of his acumen when it comes to social media and drumming up interest about himself. So damn good. And that's going to about do it for this week's Cage and Strong Style podcast. Appreciate everybody for listening in. We'll talk to you down the road. Until then, enjoy all the pro wrestling that's out there.